Welcome to the Coaching Through Chaos podcast, helping you conquer the chaos in your life. Your host is licensed marriage and family therapist, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Dr. Colleen has been doing what she does for almost two decades. She's a private practice owner, a chaostician, a magazine columnist, a best-selling author, and her work or writing has been featured on countless websites. Listen in as she brings you experts in the psychology of life. They may be New York Times bestseller, key players in their professions, or people who have overcome tremendous obstacles in life and are here to share their story to help you live your best life. Let's get to it. Stay tuned for our next Chaos Crushing guest. Here is your host, Dr. Colleen Mullen. Hi, and welcome back. I hope you're doing well through all the things that are happening and that you enjoy this little break from the chaos of the world around us. Today, we're going to talk about sex. Now, who doesn't love talking about sex, right? Well, the reality is that many people certainly enjoy sex, but actually talking about it is something that becomes awkward or uncomfortable for them. For today's conversation, we're going to add an extra layer of awkwardness to it and talk about how to talk to your kids about sex. Yes, it's time to talk about how to have the talk. My guest is Dr. Lene St. John of the Mamasutra.net. She's a board-certified sexologist, and Dr. St. John helps individuals and couples get comfortable with their own sexuality through coaching, workshops, and lots of free informative and even some fun exercises to try with your partner. Now, she also has a side of her work that focuses on how to help parents get comfortable with talking about sex with their kids. Her book is called Read Me, a parental primer for the talk. It's a comprehensive guide to understanding so much about your child's developing sexuality and how to conduct, quote unquote, the talk. Now, we're just going to get right into the interview, but after the interview, stick with me and I will tell you a few freebies you can pick up from Dr. St. John's website when we're all done. Okay, let's get into it. Dr. Lene St. John says it's not just the talk as in one conversation, but it's ongoing and should be sexual education that results in understanding and the spread of knowledge. So thanks so much, Dr. Lene St. John, for being with me on the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. Thank you very much for inviting me. I want to talk to you about what your motivation was for writing this book. Uh, can you tell me about what you were seeing maybe in your clinical practice or how did you come to write this book? Well, this was before I was practicing with clients. This was when I was just a mom. This was me going back to school for a second career because for all the years before I worked in human resources. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, I mean, I I had done uh, sexual harassment investigations and things like that. So like I wasn't completely foreign to the, (laughs) the conversations around consent and things like that. But I went back to school to study human sexuality um, when we first moved back to the States in 2009. Actually, we moved back in 2006 from Germany. But 2009, my kids were old enough. They're both in school, full days. And I was like, okay, it's time for me to do something now. So I went back to school to study sexuality. And and the motivation for the book was, you know, in those first semesters, I got to see how it was. It was more like putting a mirror up to like, how is sexuality taught to children in America and what messages do they get and what what messages do they kind of skip over or skim over and and what kinds of things are problematic. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, at the time I had, I mean, I still have two children, <laughs> but at the time they were really little, they were three and five. And, and just immediately I got to see that, you know, how we talk about our bodies even to children is, is problematic. Um, you know, using euphemisms, there's no re- no reason to use a euphemism for the vulva or the vagina or the penis or the testicles or anything like that, because they are parts of the body and they, you know, the name is no different than nose or ear. You just mm-hmm. name it what it is. And uh, yeah, it moves forward from there. So wanted to bring an easy way of understanding why this is so important for other parents. Mm-hmm. You talk a lot about how parents can avoid the talk and you talk about what can happen when they avoid talking about it before the kid hears about sex from like their peers at school or at another friend's house. What if, what about the parent and the child miss out on when the parents avoid having that talk with the child? So this is something I can speak to from experience <laughs> as being the child that wasn't talked to <laughs> and then also noticing that in myself and then going back to school and wanting to change this. The thing that parents miss out on is there is a real intimacy and depth and yeah, trust, like really deep trust that you, that you sort of miss out on or you skip over in your relationship with your child. If you avoid having these talks, yeah, they're really uncomfortable to have. And yeah, you don't know really what to say because you know, like in my case, my parent didn't talk to me about it. I, I want to say she even like opted out of me in high school to, to have the talk. Cause I don't remember mm-hmm. in high school ever having the talk. And I remember staying home one day. <laughs> so like there's this, there's trust, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you miss out on the ability to have your kid trust you as well. Uh, you can be a reliable source. Um, and from the kids, yeah, that's from the kids perspective. I mean, they really get, a, they, they miss out on knowing who is really reliable to go to with these questions and as opposed to just going to Google nowadays. Yeah. It gives the parents kind of a way of opting out and then dealing with misinformation that the kids might get. There's definitely lots of misinformation. I mean, when kids are, I mean, I don't know how often you spend time on the playground in elementary school, late elementary school, middle school, like kids are saying stuff on the playground that you would not expect them to be talking about. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So there's lots of misinformation to correct. <laughs> right. I think when parents think that the kids don't know about something, it's they're they're doing themselves a disservice than kind of really looking at what's out there in society today, how kids are today as opposed to when we were all growing up. Even that is a little romanticized because kids my age were not, you know, <laughs> They weren't super innocent back then either. <laughs> That's right. I think I think today though they have access to so much. Yeah. We didn't have the internet. You know, we yeah. didn't have the images. <laughs> we had imaginations and maybe some magazines that you'd find, but yeah. we didn't yeah. have all of the access. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> that is true. And in doing the talk, you know, in this starting this conversation that goes on with your child through through their growing up, is there a right age to start talking about dating and sex and touching to your child? The first thing I want to clarify, I guess, is let's define the word touching, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's that's a really big, big topic. So make sure you know what you want to talk about when you talk about touching. But I think mm-hmm. to go over when is the appropriate time. The big statement for this is like when they start asking you is first off, 
mm-hmm. you know, at the right time. And that might happen before you're ready for it. So, uh-huh. so, and it, I mean, it depends on kind of what's been going on. If, if somebody in the family is pregnant, then they might start asking about pregnancy. Right. So, mm-hmm. but that's, I mean, that's a different conversation than intercourse and things like that, right? Like you could kind of break these things down. Certainly. And, or just even talking about, um, a touching of the body in, in certain ways, right. Yeah. It's very different yeah. than kind of seeing mom with a baby in her stomach. Exactly. So, I would say if I had to give like general ages for these things to answer really generally, Mm -hmm. when they first start asking is the first time. And that could Mm -hmm. be before these ages. But I think if you start to talk about touching, uh, touching themselves Mm -hmm. is something different than touching others, right? Mm -hmm. So touching themselves, normalizing it, they're going to start doing it around two or three years old, right? Yeah. Sometimes even sooner. And so that's going to be a point where parents are going to run up against their own messages, the things they were taught and told about touching themselves and how appropriate it is. For me, I think of that as more of a um, set and setting, uh, like mm-hmm. <laughs> pointing to them where they can do these things in the privacy of their own room. This is something for them. It feels good. I mean, that's kind of the beginnings of the pleasure conversations, right? Yes. So, but like, you know, making sure that they're keeping their hands clean, like hygiene, some basic things that you wouldn't necessarily think of when you're talking about touching, when you're telling kids that it's okay to touch themselves at two or three, right? Mm -hmm. So, and the thing about touching others or having others touch you is, is a different conversation, but it comes, you know, pretty quickly thereafter. And in my mind, those conversations are more about consent. And let's talk about that for a minute. Now, um, there's a a couple of meaty things in here that I want to get to because you have these five building blocks for the conversation. And one of them is consent. And then one of the things that comes up in my practice a lot with parents, I don't work with kids for many years now, but I work with the parents. And they'll have these questions about when is it normal exploration and touching themselves, touching other kids? And when does a parent have to worry that it is molestation from child to child? The question about molestation, um, I mean, you're a therapist. This is probably something that you've you've dealt with a lot. Um, certainly the conversations around keeping your hands to yourself, don't touch other people, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's two ways of looking at this because sometimes kids will initiate with other kids and I think the, the thing that is normative is like same age, same mental capacity, right? So if you're not taking advantage of, you know, if you're a 12 year old, you know, touching a four year old, that's problematic. But if two kids are of the same age and the same emotional, psychological mm-hmm. stage, I mean, kids used to play doctor, you know, mm-hmm. decade, not even decades ago. And it was, it was just normal exploration. And so I think we have a culture that has very strong attitudes about what's normal and what's not around sexuality. And these attitudes come from people who aren't particularly educated in the topic. So it becomes, you know, judgments and opinions and, and sometimes those things can be harmful. (laughs) Right. And I think, I think, but how you put it that the same emotional age and maturity, cognitive capacity makes it kind of normal, right? And some of this stuff is normal. Kids explore their bodies. They kind of get curious about others, their peers. Um, So because I, I think 
right? Some of the signals that parents are getting these days is any touching of other kids is suggestive of something malicious happening. And, yeah. and it's not always. And that's been, that's a tough thing sometimes for parents to get around. And I think then when you say something so clearly a 12 year old and a four year old, right, that there's nothing the same about that. And that's when we would be concerned. So thank you for that. I want to circle back to the second half of the question that you just gave me, Mm -hmm. which was talking about dating and sex, Mm -hmm. Um, like the general ages that someone would have these conversations. And I would say dating, this is something that you can start planting the seeds for what dating is, why folks do it. I would say around age nine or 10. It's not a bad thing to begin to have the conversations what's the purpose of dating? Why do people date? What, uh, what do they get out of it? What are they supposed to learn? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know that many parents or many adults, I should say, <laughs> you know, right. are really learning a lot <laughs> from their dating experiences. Um, so nine or 10, I think. And I, and the reason why I picked that age is that's around fifth grade and fifth and sixth grade kids are starting to think that they need to have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a partner. And so, you know, so why are you doing that? Why, why is that important? You know, starting to get them thinking critically about why this is important. And then the sex question, I guess talking about sexual behaviors should start around 13 or 14. If not start, I mean, they'll start to ask questions. They might hear something in the news, not the news, but like in a movie or something Mm -hmm. Um, sooner than that. But 13 or 14 for sure, because their peers, if they're not, their peers are already starting to do stuff sexually with each other. Mm-hmm. And so helping them by telling them what's what is super helpful. Um, oh, and the other thing I would add that you that you didn't ask me <laughs> is pleasure. Pleasure should definitely be talked about before that. So maybe 11 or 12. And um, I talk about pleasure a lot in my book. And I had somebody just recently review the book on Amazon and said, you know, I thought I was pretty progressive about talking about this topic with my kids, but I never really understood why talking about pleasure with my daughter would be important. I want to bring us into your five building blocks for the conversation because you've mentioned consent and you've mentioned pleasure. And in these building blocks, you have communication, consent, respect, pleasure, and fantasy. Now, so, and from what I'm getting already from some of your answers, you want parents to, like, some of them come together, some of them are are things that you build on over time. How do you want parents to look at these five building blocks and why are they all so important? These five building blocks are essentially a foundation that you can use to put your kids' sexual education, sexual future on a solid bedrock foundation, right? So I think where our current system of education around sex, dating, relationships, love, where that fails is that we jump into these conversations about sex. And so there's it happens separate from the dating, love, and relationship piece. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's kind of why I was talking about the dating thing should be something you talk about the sex thing, because this is, these are, you know, they, they come together. So these building blocks are the same thing. And if you look at them, 
on face value, none of them have anything to do with what parts go where, you Mm -hmm. know, I'm not talking about, you know, (laughs) these, this, you do this with this and this goes, you know, none of that. These are pieces that are essential for healthy adult relationships and learning these skills at two are essential to when you are 12 or 22 or 102, right? Like they build on each other. So, you know, this is definitely not something where I think, you know, you should start talking about the birds and the bees. Mm -hmm. When I say that, I'm thinking of the, you know, the the sexual intercourse conversation. And that's what I think so many parents get so worked up about having to have the talk about that, that they go from zero to a hundred and they talk about that and they don't talk about all the stuff that leads up to it. Like you said, the dating, the pleasure, the, all the things that happen along the way before you get to actual intercourse. Talk about consent and fantasy. Do you talk about that with young children? Where do you start those conversations? The consent conversations, as we mentioned at the very beginning, can be about touching other people, right? Like keep your hands off other people unless they ask for, you know, a hug. Mm-hmm. Don't just go up and grab them and give them a hug. The conversations with consent also are things like tickling, mm-hmm. right? They're um, hugs, kisses. These are easy lessons that when kids are able to learn these at a young age, it helps them learn bodily autonomy. It helps them learn agency. It helps them learn that they have a voice and they can, you know, approve or not. (laughs) Yeah. Whatever's going to be happening to them. And I mean, if you look at it, kids, when they're really little, tolerate a lot of adult intervention, right? We yes. brush their hair for them. We wipe their butts. We, you sure. know, <laughs> we're doing a lot of stuff to their bodies, but there's a point where our intervention stops. We stop doing more hands-on things for them. And we, we want to teach them independence. We want to teach them that they can start to do these things themselves. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's also, it sort of builds onto this, this idea of, you know, you have say over your body. It starts pretty young then that you're having these conversations with them. I've explained this story in the past, but this was the eye-opening, one of the eye-opening moments for me. Um, There was a time when my kids were really little, probably less than five. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you've done the same thing. I think most parents do the tickle game where you're like tickling the child and they're laying like a little bug on their back and, (laughs) and you're tickling them. And there was a moment I was doing this with my kids and I could see I could see in her eyes, it changed a little bit from fun to a little bit of panic. Uh And I had a moment where I myself was in that same position. And I could imagine somebody much bigger than me having control. And I didn't have any control. And it was a little scary, Mm -hmm. you know, a little little frightening that, you know, if this keeps going, I'm going to pee, you know. Uh (laughs) I mean, it feels good, but it's also a little much. And so I told my daughter, I said, you know, hang on a second. If you ever want me to stop, if we're doing this game and you want me to stop, I want you to say stop and I will stop. Mm-hmm. And you know, explained that to her in very plain terms. And I said, let's try. Like we kind of role played it right then. That's great practicing it. Yeah. So then we, you know, I tickle, 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 tickle. And she laughed and I could see the, you know, starting to get to that point. And she said, stop. 
and I froze. No change in my facial expression because I watched her eyes scan my face for any micro mm-hmm. <laughs> micro change. And when she noticed that it was okay, I could see her get this little grin on her face and her eyes squinted and she was like, go. And we started up again. So that was, I mean, that's a lesson, right? That's really crucial. Those kind of moments leave indelible marks in kids about what they can and can't do. That's why it's so great when parents try things out and role play with their kids and say, hey, let's try this. Not just this is what you do in this situation. Hey, let's try it out, right? How do you say no? How do you say stop? And and get them used to saying it and having a great response to it. Helps them then do it when, you know, it's it's like practicing calming yourself when you're not anxious, right? It's so that you can call it up in that moment when you need to, and it's just there like memory for you. Did you know that each time you enter Amazon to shop and you go in through my storefront at amazon.com slash shop slash Dr. Colleen Mullen, a small portion of everything you purchase for 24 hours goes to help support the cost of running this podcast. So go ahead, try it out. And while you're there, you'll also find some of my favorite self-care items along with the Coaching Through Chaos bookshelf where you'll find the books for every guest we've had along the way. Thanks so much for supporting the show. And the other part of the question is, how do you start talking about all these components? Because you have fantasy and respect, and we talked a bit about pleasure already. How do you start adding in some of these other components to the conversation? Yeah, so they are components that come in just as as life happens, right? And we, uh, the respect piece is about respecting self and others. Um, communication, that's knowing that it's okay to talk about emotions and verbal and nonverbal communication. Um, Pleasure, yeah, we talked about that one. Mm -hmm. But fantasy, and I know this is one that's difficult for adults because typically when they're thinking of fantasy, they're thinking about sexual fantasy. But fantasy in terms of how you, um, I mean, we tell kids to grow up right? Mm-hmm. We, we sort of take away this ability for them to, to fantasize and, and have fun. And if you help a child with acceptance and non-judgment around fantasy, like it's, it's okay to, to play, you know, whatever these games are that they're playing, um, mm-hmm. you know, helping them know that there's real life and there's fantasy as well. But, mm-hmm. but these things will help them in their adult relationships. So, Well, and that's good, right? They have a lot of fantasy. If you think about like a child's life and the games that they might be exposed to, right? There is fantasy in those games. So helping them understand that part of their imagination and and fantasy is a healthy part of who they are. Yeah. And that they don't have to judge somebody else for for liking something that Mm -hmm. they're not particularly into. It's just sort of a, a, yeah, teaching acceptance and non-judgment. Because when you're an adult and you have a partner who you know, has a fantasy that you don't totally understand. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it doesn't help you to judge your partner. It doesn't help the relationship if you start, you know, using that against them or something, you know, that would be very, yeah, 
not recommended. <laughs> right. No, I'm always talking with the clients about um, getting curious about their partner, right? Get if curious, they, if they yeah. have something that they don't, if they have an idea or fantasy that they don't like, get curious about it and say, what is it about that 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 turns you on? What is it about that that you've wanted to try? Tell me more about that. That's right. And so, of course, with the children, we're, we're not talking about those kind of fantasies. We're talking about like, hey, when you get lost in that game and you feel like you're right there, that's a great use of fantasy, right? Yeah. So yeah. very good. So this is an ongoing conversation and you'd be implementing some of these building blocks into a communication, respect, pleasure, fantasy, and ah, missing one, consent, I think. <laughs> yeah. And if you read the book, you'll see how easy it is to build these things together. Well, you mentioned early on in this conversation about using the actual body parts and using the words for the actual body parts. And I think everybody at some point in their life has, you know, called it a weenie and whatever. And <laughs> what? What do you want parents to know about why it's so important to use the actual words that are given for the body parts than making up little nicknames for them? We do it because we're uncomfortable saying the word, right? We were probably not allowed to talk about it. Or even as teenagers, when we did, we'd laugh about it, you know, penis, uh, dick, uh, you know, <laughs> whatever word we used, we, we kind of laugh about it. And the benefit out of teaching your kid the proper names is heaven forbid they are ever a recipient of unwanted touch. I don't want to say victim because victim, you know, that's not always a great mindset to, to or a label for someone. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, but if they ever receive unwanted touch sexually, you want them to be able to tell you the proper name, but also less scary, I guess, because I don't, I don't like to teach with fear mm -hmm. is that if a child is experiencing any pain or discomfort, they can tell you specifically where what's going on so you guys can get help. So if their testicles are itchy, you know, you can <laughs> can manage that as opposed to like, it's itchy down there. Okay, well, what specific, you know, yes. having the right terms helps them. And to be fair, that's also important for adults to be able to have the ability to say the words so they can go to their doctors and say, what's going on That's where right. <laughs> specifically the conversations around the proper names are essential for adults as well. I used to teach this class at CCSF um, city college of San Francisco. And one of the assignments that was an optional assignment was a genital self exam. And these are adults, yeah. right? These were college age students. So still young, but I also taught the working adult degree program that consisted of students who were going back to school after you know, life took a different path. So yes. I had students, I had women in there who were in their fifties and had never done a genital self-exam. And this is not a conversation about, it should not be sexualized. Right. It's about sexual health. It's about the importance of maintaining, monitoring, knowing mm -hmm. your body so that if you need to talk to a professional, if you need to talk to a doctor, you can say what you need to say without being embarrassed. Yes. If you wait six months, nine months, you know, the, the time you would normally go between doctor's visits, if you find a lump, mm -hmm. yeah, you don't want to wait. You don't wait. No. I, do not wait. Go in right away. <laughs> right. And just hoping that things will go away because it's on a certain body part. People do that 
all the time. And it also takes away the shame. There's no shame in, and if you're calling it something else, it's almost as if you're telling the child that there's something to be embarrassed about. You don't want to be caught saying that or talking about that body part. And really, as you mentioned, it makes the conversation when there is something the matter so much easier because you're not asking 10 questions and having to go, well, what side is it on and where is it and, and all that stuff. So, um, so that's really important. I have just a couple more things to ask you about. One of them is coming from a standpoint as a woman who is now just about to be 50. And I, like many other women, yep, I think we're right the same same age here. And 50 uh, last year. <laughs> I'm up in a couple of months. And um, I was one of those girls that back then, I thought I was the only one that got my period so young. Like I was literally like nine years old. And I say that now and... Now it's not even that uncommon, but back then I thought I was the only one. And I also had not had any conversation with my parent. My mother had not given me any conversation, which was very common then. I'm thinking it's still very common now and girls are getting them. I have a girlfriend whose child got it at eight and, you know, girls are getting their periods so young and that class that happens where they tell you about it in school Back then, I don't know what they do now, but they separated the the girls and the boys. The boys learned about some stuff that I still don't know what they learned about. We learned about getting our periods. And that was already a year past when I did. And I didn't know what to do, how to do it. I probably didn't know for the first couple of years if I was even doing it right to take care of myself because it was just, oh, this happened here, go take care of it. So why do you think you know, parents, mothers maybe in particular with their daughters have such a hard time talking about this natural process of our bodies? It is tough to talk about something that is... It it sort of has an international gag order, right? (laughs) I mean, just in general, look at the attitudes around, around menstruation, you know, just in general, I still hear stories of high school boys working at a grocery store, not wanting to touch the boxes of tampons and pads, right? right? Like, so there's, there's a, it feels like a gag order. And when you're not allowed to talk about something in public, even in private, it feels kind of weird. And like you explained, wow, this is really going to date me. But uh, (laughs) my mom was very afraid of me using tampons Mm -hmm. because that meant I was no longer a virgin. Ah, yes. (laughs) Um, So I got the pad with belts. And this was like years after belts were no longer around, right? Like, I don't even know how she got them. That's 10 years older than us, at least. And then now the girls today, I don't even think even understand that those things ever existed. (laughs) (laughs) And I always say, like, I don't know why tampons and pads even have commercials, because we know they're going to stay in business. We know we're always going to buy them. (laughs) Like, I just don't understand the advertising. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think this was like, this was some serious anti-sexual, right? Like, this is some serious, I mean, but that's, we, we got some other issues on that. Side. Yeah. <laughs> but so it's tough to talk about something that no one can talk about. And when I've done courses on this, I've got outlines for, you know, different parent daughter conversations, you know, uh, conversations about menstruation and what happens and, and some, even some fun lab experiments where you take a glass cup, you know, see-through glass and you put pads, tampons, and you see how much stuff floats off these things and into your body. Like, 
So helping you make choices, uh-huh. how to use these things, yes. right? Like I've also heard stories about kids use, you know, taking off the elastic or what do you call that? The paper adhesive strip yeah. to expose the adhesive and then putting the adhesive side on like, no. Oh. So, I mean, there is some instruction also that has to happen, right? Yeah. And then deciding on what kinds of things you're going to use. So diva cups or reusable pads that can be washed or... Yeah, there's a lot to talk about. <laughs> there's a lot. And so it's really important, again, to just be having these conversations. And really, with young girls, and whether it's our nutrition, whether it's something in the environment, whatever the case is, we are having girls that get their period very young. So you can't think 10 is when you have that conversation. It's got to be much earlier. Yeah, I was going to say either start having the conversation around eight or nine. Mm-hmm. You know, you may see some precursors, some things that We'll be indicating that things are happening or things will happen soon. Little breast buds starting to show can be one of the first signs for girls. Definitely waiting until the school does it is already too late. And the sad thing is a lot of parents rely on the school to have the conversation for them. Yes. So if the kids are waiting and the parents, if the parents are waiting and the school can't even, and the school can't get around to it in a lot of cases because parents, other parents will say, oh, that's too young. (laughs) There's so many ways where if the responsibility is deferred for that conversation, the child is the one who misses out. And then you have, in particular in this situation, girls that get confused, that might even be embarrassed or be ashamed of what's happening because they don't know that it's happening to other girls. And on that note, I wanted to talk about like self-esteem and and how do you talk about, you want to help build your child up. And sometimes we see things go on in the child where it might be a hygiene issue, it might be ways that they're taking care of themselves. How do you gently talk about how they are taking care of themselves in their body where it's not coming down as critical or, you know, shameful inducing? I'm certainly not perfect on this because for a number of, I mean, I'm going to expose my kids and I'm going to be really upset. So let me, (laughs) let me tiptoe around this one. It's a difficult thing because to some extent it has to be Mm self-driven and that might be maybe the easiest way to do this as a parent is just to say something as simple as I notice and then fill in the blank. I notice here there's food in your braces and then You don't need to give any judgment around that because it's already just a noticing of something that shouldn't be that way. (laughs) So it encourages them maybe to to go brush more often. Or I noticed this and did you know how to get it clean? You know, or I noticed this and do you know, I noticed this happened after you exercised. Do you need new soap for the shower? Because there's so many times where I think, you know, like uh, parents project their expectations and, and they sometimes don't. They want their kids to develop as they need to, and yet they have their expectations of what they think their child should be like. And sometimes that gets translated in something that causes some some shame for the kids, anxiety. You know, and actually to to kind of segue on that and tie it back to that last that last question, when you have a topic like this, because I know some schools will start to talk about hygiene with the sex education, it's sort of like um, family life or puberty education kinds of things. What I find most interesting is that schools will consult parents about 
the topic, uh, how the, how the topic should be covered. But at the same time, they don't do the same thing for math and science, right? <laughs> so, so you have people who don't, who aren't necessarily educated on these things, but just have opinions and, and judgments about when these things should be covered. It really is something I think that should also be consult. Um, the people who should be consulted are, are experts in health and, and sexuality. Excellent point. I like that, right? Nobody says, well, I don't, I think he's too young to learn, you know, division tables. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's, that's something that I actually, that I talk about in my book too, that when kids are really young, we start with some basic pieces. Like we start with little blocks when they're a kid and we, when they're babies, right? One, two, here's one, here's two. This, you know, we start giving them sort of the concepts around addition. And then we start to add on to that. So the same thing with sexuality, it's exactly the same. You start with some basic things. You, And I do think the um, I'm not anti-porn, but I think one of the problems with porn is that if kids are watching it too soon, it's like they're, they're kind of getting thrown into calculus and, and mm-hmm. yes, <laughs> before they're ready, right? You've got to have some basic things down before you can really even start to do that. Same thing with adults. I mean, you wouldn't throw an adult who is just, you know, comfortable with like regular vanilla sex, you wouldn't throw them into a BDSM scene. like <laughs> Right, right. You'd <laughs> ease them kind of into work. that. And you'd say, hey, this is something you might see. And then you might see this. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It might, you might have heard about something like this and wondered what, you know, that kind of thing. Yes. So it's crazy that we think that they would get all of it at once. Right. That's not what any sex educator will ever <laughs> espouse, that you give kids everything now. Yes. And I think kind of keeping in mind like that, like any other subject, we don't learn it all in one shot in one class in one hour of a classroom setting, right? I do think that's how we've gotten to where we are now with hookup culture oh, is if you've yeah. separated sex from dating, love and relationships, they don't really know how it works. We could do two hours on the hookup culture <laughs> and the lack of dating knowledge and relationship building in the current young adults. But that's not what this one is. So we'll do that some other time. But for right now, I actually want to wrap up and ask if there are, what would you want parents to know about like, where's the first starting block? When they're going to start this conversation, they're listening to this, they said, okay, fine. They have a three-year-old or a five-year-old. Like, What's the most important thing for them to take away to say, I just need to do this? The most important thing, I think, to help you dive into this too, is to start to examine why you think the way you do. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't examine that, there's a chance that you're going to put that onto your kids. Mm -hmm. For example, the shame and embarrassment about masturbation, you kind of have to get over that and be able to talk factually about what it is, what it does, the purpose so that your kids can develop into a healthy adult sexuality. Attacking, or not, I guess, attacking, but sort of diving into why you feel the way you do. And also asking the question, who is it for? Who are these rules for? Is it to protect the child? Is it, prote- is it to protect like these honor killings where you have people who think they're shaming the family? Oh. Right? Like it's stuff like what is, what is really behind all of these, these messages and rules and why we don't do these things, why we don't talk to our kids about this stuff. And, and, you know, what could the possible consequences be 
of not having these conversations. You know, the, the child benefits, like, why would we think they wouldn't? Really good point to end on, that the child will benefit from this. I want to thank you, Dr. Lene St. John, for being with me on the show. And for those listening, the book is Read Me, A Parental Primer for the Talk. And we will have a link to that in the Coaching Through Chaos bookshelf at coachingthroughchaospodcast.com. So thank you, Dr. St. John, for being here with me on the Coaching Through Chaos podcast. Thank you so much. That interview was just a lot of information, and I am going to go over lots of links and things for you. Uh, However, I know many of you listen as you're driving around, so you can always circle back around to coachingthroughchaospodcast.com to get any of the information, as I will have all links to all things mentioned in this episode in the show notes. In case you found this episode because you were browsing around to look for a more comfortable way to talk about sex with your partner, Dr. St. John can certainly help you out there too. As I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, she definitely works with adults as well as working with people specifically as parents to talk with their kids about sexuality. I'd encourage you to go to her website, themamasutra.net. I seriously spent about an hour on it the other night. I downloaded some free guides and read through some blog posts and even some advice questions that uh, she had there, a little question and answer in one section of the website. A couple of the freebies available on her website are how to get a little bit more playful with your partner and also a free guide to exploring your own genitals. Now, on one hand, it can help you, the adult, get more familiar with your own body parts and the words for them in case you need to tell a doctor about something should you end up with a problem anywhere. But it can also help you, again, in using the correct words when talking to your kids about their body parts. We can never have too much information when it comes to good sex and taking care of our body. I'd encourage all parents to pick up the book, Read Me, A Parental Primer for the Talk. And of course, you can find Dr. St. John's book along with all the other books of the guests on this show on the Coaching Through Chaos bookshelf on Amazon. And again, all links are available at coachingthroughchaospodcast.com website. Okay, so now to tell you who's coming up. I have so many great guests. Um, I'm going to give you a couple little teasers here. So coming up, I have a conversation with a fellow podcaster and small business owner in Massachusetts who is coping with the ins and outs of managing his business under the pandemic restrictions and closures. He is also a black business owner, and we are going to take a little journey into his experience, both before and after all the current social uprising. I do hope that you join me for that one. And I also have someone who I really just love and admire for what she is creating in the world with art. My friend Tatiana has a nonprofit called Road to Artdom, and she also has a really fascinating career as an organizer and sponsor of many fundraisers like Comedy Gives Back. She's also been on panels at Comic-Con and is just so passionate about what she does to bring art to the younger generations and to spread the accessibility to creativity to others. I just really want to be able to help her share what she's doing on this platform and let you know how maybe you could even get involved. She happens to be a friend of mine also, and I'm so happy to share her with you. 
And then we also have more financial advice coming up on how to plan for retirement and what to do if you are planning for your estate, as well as a gym owning family. That's right. The whole family is involved in this business. They're all adults and they're all in business together and they all happen to live together. Now I know they have a lot of room to move around in this big house that they all live in, but they do still all live and work under the same roof. And I can't wait for you to hear what they have to say up at Absolute Flex Appeal in Rockland, California about managing those relationships while staying true to their family and business values. So until next time, I need to thank my fantastic editor, Steve Cosio at Podcast Mansfield for helping me get the show produced. And as for you, I know there's a lot of chaos around us these days, and I hope that you have a place of peace and calm outside of the chaos. Take care.